Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday night. It is August the 12th, 2022. And boy, oh boy, this week, uh, what a script. Only Rod Serling could have imagined anything even remotely uh, close to what we've been experiencing. Certainly the lead story, the raid by the FBI on President Trump's home in Mar-a-Lago, uh, but before we jump, jump to conclusion, we really need to, to try to calm down because it's infuriating me and a lot of other Americans. And, and I think one of the things that's really so disturbing and distressing is the history of the Justice Department with Donald Trump. Ever since he came down that infamous escalator at Trump Tower, uh, boy, oh boy, they have been sharpening the knives for him. And, and frankly, it's not even only the Democrats, because uh, I, as I wrote in an article um, way back when, Donald Trump was actually America's whistleblower in chief. You know, a whistleblower is somebody who's on the inside and, and develops a profound understanding about corruption, about malfeasance, nonfeasance, misfeasance. Uh, it's, it's a rough road. Uh, I've been down that road. Um, ever since I've testified before Congress back in 97, ever since I went um, and, and complained about a supervisor who, as it turned out, had a brain tumor and was uh, issuing illegal, crazy orders to the agents, uh, basically you uh, paint a target on your back, your front, your top, and your bottom. Um, agents. Sorry about that. Apparently, uh, we lost the connection with the studio. Hopefully, I'm up and running once again. Uh, goodness gracious. Just add that to the list of, of the crazy stuff that's been going on all week. I started talking about the raid at uh, Donald Trump's uh, home at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, and what really starts out being disturbing is that from day one, the knives were sharpened. Donald Trump was the quintessential outsider. And that's why I wrote an article for Front Page Magazine way back when, where I said that Donald Trump was actually America's whistleblower-in-chief. I've been down that road. Uh, I took on my agency uh, even before I started doing congressional hearings in the wake of 9-11. I did my first hearing in 1997 about immigration fraud and visa fraud, the predication being two terror attacks in the United States back in 1993. Agencies tend to protect themselves. Um, and, and so one of the things that, that I find disturbing, and we'll get to that, is the conservative uh, antipathy towards civil servants. And I think they've got it wrong, and I want to address that. And I'm not going to delve too far into what, we, what seems to be happening with Trump, other than to say that my concern is that this is probably, and I'm not the first one to say it, but it appears to me, and we'll see if I'm right, a fishing expedition because of January 6th. And if you look at the timing, again, elections coming in three months, the midterm elections, the Republicans appear to be poised to, you know, 
come up with all kinds of victories. And I think that, you know, the Democrats are looking to throw anything up in the air as a distraction. Now, am I right or wrong? I don't know. I don't like speculating. As an agent, I dealt with facts, not speculation. But I, we can't help but remember how many times Trump came under investigation, all the fake accusations, Russian collusion, the Steele dossier, um, the members of Congress. We have secret information. Wish we could share it with you. But, boy, this guy is bad. And it turns out they had nothing. They had bupkis. It was character assassination. And I think it all started uh, with the fact that Donald Trump, number one, didn't want to take this, the, the big bucks from the PACs, the political action committees. The politicians are bought and paid for by the PACs, both parties. And when you have politicians saying, oh, I don't take PAC money, well, if they're taking money from their party, and I don't care if they're a Republican or a Democrat or a member of the Hopping Kangaroo Party, if those politicians are getting finances for their campaigns from their respective parties. They are getting PAC money laundered through the political party. So you have Donald Trump, who's kind of a rogue politician, in that he wasn't playing by the same rules because he didn't need the money. And if he doesn't need the money, that means he's truly independent. And then he comes out and uses the S-word. The S-word horrifies leaders around the world. He used the S-word when he stood at the United Nations. The S-word, sovereignty. The notion that countries have the right to secure their borders, determine their own destinies, uh, and permit those to enter their countries that they believe will not be harmful to them and conduct business in the best way possible to their respective nations. What a novel thought. And when Donald Trump said American first or America first, I prefer using the term Americans first, because too far, too often we hear the term America first, and we're really talking about American corporations that are really multinational corporations, GE and GM and all these other companies. We bailed out GM, and they established factories around the world. My goodness gracious. How about employing Americans in America? There is no loyalty by most corporations for this country or for our citizens. It's never been that way before, not to this extent. Uh, when President Eisenhower, or rather it was President Roosevelt, declared war on Japan and on Germany, American companies stepped up to the plate, frequently taking very little money um, to do research, to develop weaponry and so forth. Of course, they made money. Let's not be foolish. Uh, you know, Eisenhower, upon leaving office, or just before leaving office, warned about the military-industrial complex. But American companies were American companies. The flag wasn't just a label that was slapped on some shrink wrap. These were American companies. And today with globalism, um, you know, something is going on. We need new technology. Um, let's, let's call up India. Let's call up some other country. We never did that before. I'm old enough to remember when Sputnik was launched. And President Eisenhower said, we're going to teach American kids math and science so we continue to lead. He didn't say we need to bring in the world's best and brightest because he recognized the undeniable fact, the world's best and brightest has a title. We call them Americans. And I don't care about race or religion or ethnicity, none of that. It was America that first took to the sky. It was America that landed and returned men to the moon, you know, sequentially. And incredibly, we didn't lose anybody. I got to meet Jim Lovell 
the commander of Apollo 13. We brought them home alive. I got to meet Gene Kranz, who was flight director at Mission Control, one of the three who, who pulled it off, along with that army of scientists, engineers, and so forth, bringing home Apollo 13. America has always been leading. And now suddenly corporations are happy to allow intellectual property that they should be guarding jealously to be exported to our adversaries, including China. How do you think China built up its military? Now they're threatening us with the military that they wouldn't have if it wasn't for our own lame stupidity? Seriously? Iran working on nuclear weaponry because we as a country under Carter provided nuclear tur- or, or turbines, rather, for nuclear power plants to the Shah of Iran way back when. Um, and, of course, the technology leaked out. And President Trump said, let's bring everything back. Let's stop being reliant on China. Uh, and you have you know, Nancy Pelosi going to Asia. Her son is along as her escort, supposedly. Meanwhile, he's got major bi- business dealings in China. You look at Joe Biden's son. And the obvious crimes that would appear to be committed when you look at the videos, cavorting with the hookers and the crack cocaine and and the business dealings and everything else on that laptop that was hidden from view by a compliant media. If it was one of Trump's kids, I guarantee you it would have been on every news station on on the front page of just about every newspaper 24-7. But because it was Joe Biden, the sacred cow of the Democrat Party, They buried the story until after the election. And Trump and his family went through hell. Now, I'm not one of those guys who says Trump is always right. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I was very disappointed in President Trump for the way that he dealt with Jeff Sessions, who I think is a tremendous human being and was a great senator. If you wanted to fire him or maybe shift him from DOJ to DHS as the head of Homeland Security, which I think would have been a terrific move, That's the president's prerogative. He's the president. But to, you know, beat up on him publicly the way he did so that Jeff couldn't win back his old Senate seat, I thought was terrible and not in our best interest. Jeff was the strongest voice for sane and rational immigration policies. I had dinner with him and his wife. I was part of a panel discussion with Jeff, with uh, Congressman uh, Louis Gohmert and another congressman at the time, John Fleming, because of my work with the David Horowitz Freedom Center. It was back in 2014. Sessions quoted me from the floor of the Senate uh, when I wrote an op-ed for the Washington Times and said we ought to rename comprehensive immigration reform uh, and call it what it is, the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act, the notion that we would be giving lawful status to millions, likely tens of millions of illegal aliens who snuck into the country without the ability to interview them, let alone conduct an honest field investigation. And you don't got to get it wrong much. You know, right after 9-11, our leaders kept saying, to succeed, the terrorists only got to get it right once, and for us to be safe, we've got to get it right every single time. Every alien who enters the United States provides that one opportunity that the terrorists are looking for. And it was only 19 hijackers who changed the world and carried out the attacks of 9-11-19. Biden has allowed over 2 million, according to published statistics, to enter the United States, and they shouldn't have. What percentage of 2,000 is 19, a fraction of 1%? And what about the hundreds of thousands of getaways? And no one's talking about the northern border. 
No one's talking about who's coming in at the international airports or who's coming into the United States along our 95,000 miles of coastline. And you have a head of Homeland Security in Mallorca saying, we're not going to enforce the immigration laws from within the interior. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but these were all the issues that were so important to both political parties, the globalists. When I testified at a hearing years ago before the House Judiciary Committee, there was a witness who opposed me. And his position was that of a company, or he was part of a company that worked closely with the Chamber of Commerce. And during a recess, he said to me, Mr. Cutler, you got to knock off this nonsense about border security. You're costing me and my colleagues, you are draining us. Open up those damn borders so we can make our money. And I said, well, what about people dying? He said, well, people always die. He was that callous, that outrageous. Because to the globalists, our borders aren't our first and last line of defense. To them, our borders are impediments to their great wealth, their wealth. And they could care less what happens to us or our great nation. So Donald Trump scared the hell out of an awful lot of people from lots of different perspectives. Even now, you have Republicans running for Congress saying, oh, we've got to secure the border, but we need to have a massive amnesty. Go back to that op-ed. You you can't legalize millions of people without an interview, without a field investigation, without undermining national security and public safety, without doing great harm to the jobs and wages of Americans, without doing harm to all sorts of things, because that's what our immigration laws and that's what our borders are supposed to do, protect us from threats to national security, public health, public safety, and the jobs and wages of Americans. Who could be against that? Who could be against that? We have a terrible drought, and it seems to be a long-term problem. There's many reasons for it. I'm not going to get into climate change, and the Democrats are jumping up and down because they just passed in the Senate the so-called Deficit Reduction Act, which is really a big spending bill, and the Green New Deal under a new name. And that's what they do. They rebrand things. The Edsel didn't sell. Those of you old enough to remember the Ford Motor Company's disastrous car, the Edsel, so, you know, you, you relabel things when it doesn't sell. You know, it's all a game. It's all a scam. Uh, it, it's all, you know, what, what did Orwell say? Political language designed to make uh, lies truthful and uh, make um, murder respectable, right? This is all political gyrations of language. Meanwhile, they don't care about what happens to the average American, which is why so many Americans have lost faith in government. And because of those failures, so many Americans no longer have the purchasing power they used to have. The middle class has all been extinct, and that's before COVID, before COVID. So if, if the system isn't helping Americans to live their share, their thin sliver of the American dream, and someone comes along pushing socialism, well, if you're not happy, you're looking for change. And Obama played that game quite well, offering change. And someone said to me, don't you think we need change? I said, it depends on what kind of change we're talking about. If we were sitting in a lifeboat and we'd been on an ocean liner that went down, and if we were being tossed around and the wind is howling and the air is cold and there's sharks circling, and I said to you, I could change your circumstances, you might say, wow, that's wonderful, until you realize that my way of changing your circumstances is to throw you out of the lifeboat into the shark-infested waters which is pretty much what Obama did. So Trump came along because of the Obama administration. 
didn't happen in a vacuum. Am I 100% behind Trump? No, I'm not behind anybody 100%. Ed Koch, the mayor of New York, once said that, um, you know, if, if, if you agree with me 80% of the time, vote for me. If you agree with me 100% of the time, get psychological treatment. I mean, seriously. But this constant drumbeat, this constant effort to undermine Trump, undermine his administration, undermine his policy started before he was sworn in. And so now when the FBI, for the first time in history, stages a raid on a former president's house, it's hard to look at it and say, yeah, it's probably justified. I don't know what's justified anymore. If you can't trust the messenger, you can't trust the message, to quote the late Johnny Cochran. Um, It's hard to trust the messenger when it's Garland. The same attorney general who's focused on domestic terrorists, parents who go to school board meetings and, and complain about critical race theory and other issues that are well within their rights as parents. I was the parent association president of my daughter's public school, and we wanted every parent to be involved in the education of their child. Why wouldn't you want that? Well, not any longer. Today you have school districts that are trying to conceal from the parents the curriculums, the curricula being taught to their own children. This isn't the America that we recognize. I'm a registered Democrat, but the Democrats are not acting like Democrats. They're more like fascists and totalitarians, and it's dismaying. And now the... Um, IRS is supposed to get 87,000 new IRS agents, more than doubling their staff. You know, it's, it's remarkable to me because about 12 years ago, give or take, I was invited to participate in panel discussions at Chapman Law School in California. And when I got there, I found out that one of the other people who would be speaking was former Homeland Security Secretary, Michael Chertoff. He was there with Asa Hutchins. And we wound up sharing a stretch limo from the Nixon Library where we had dinner uh, back to the hotel. So we were in the car for 45 minutes to an hour, give or take, probably the longest 45 minutes of Michael Chertoff's life. And I said, we need many more agents. And he said, where are you going to get the money? I said, well, 6,000 agents doesn't cut it, especially when most of them aren't even doing immigration work because the way that Bush George W. Bush put Homeland Security together, violated the Homeland Security Act. They were never supposed to blend in with an immigration enforcement agency, customs and agriculture, and the TSA, um, and, and all sorts of other agencies. No, immigration was supposed to be a standalone. I know I'd been meeting with members of Congress unofficially. Um, they were relying on my expertise because I was with the agency for 30 years, and I held multiple positions, if you know my background. And I said what they needed to do was to spin off the immigration benefits program from the other three that I I refer to as the enforcement tripod. The Border Patrol agents enforced the laws at ports of entry. I'm sorry, uh, the Border Patrol agents enforced laws between ports of entry. The inspectors, and I was an inspector for four years at Kennedy Airport, enforced the laws at ports of entry, but they've always ignored interior enforcement. We only had about 6,000 immigration agents or ICE agents And most of the time, under DHS, they're doing other work, intellectual property theft, drug smuggling, kiddie porn, you name it, anything but immigration, money laundering, financial crimes. That's not working. 
So effectively, as, as we had before 9-11, you might have had 2,000 immigration agents for the entire country. Let me repeat that number, 2,000. New York City had 37,000 cops at the time, 38,000, whatever that number was. And Chertoff said, we don't have the money to hire more immigration agents. Really? And now we have the money to hire 87,000 additional IRS agents, 87,000 as compared with 2,000 ICE agents dedicated to immigration enforcement under Bush? Really? And even under Trump, at most you had 6,000. So they've more than doubled the, the force for IRS. So the same Democrats that are screaming, defund the police, get the guns off the street, want armed IRS agents out there to the tune of 87,000 agents, making it the biggest police agency in the federal government. It's actually not a police agency. With their approach, it calls the IRS Army. The IRS Army. By the same hypocritic Democrats who don't like guns and don't like law enforcement until it's coming for the average American's money. And then they are all in. We need your money. Do a thing. It's terrifying. Because you also have people, uh, I was watching Fox News, and a couple of their people said something that was crazy. The reason they're hiring all these agents is because the Treasury Union wants more members, and they're doing what the Treasury Union wants, and we need to get rid of the union, and we need to be able to fire every civil servant when the new president comes in. I don't understand how any of that works. I don't understand how any of that works. How in the world does a new president come in and fire hundreds of thousands of civil servants who have institutional knowledge that they need to keep the agencies running. This is like changing the engines on an airplane that's at 40,000 feet. We're going to change the engines while you're flying over the mountains. Lots of luck. And why are the civil servants the enemy? Immigration agents are civil servants. DEA agents are civil servants. Air traffic controllers are civil servants. The people that inspect the food we eat are civil servants. And most of them belong to unions. <clears throat> if, if these people at Fox really think that, you know, it's only the Treasury Union, they're wrong. <clears throat> Civil servants have union protections. They don't negotiate contracts. They protect them against their employer from firing them for unreasonable cause. And let me tell you, when you're in law enforcement, that I was for 30 years, Lots of people want to make allegations against you. The bad guys want to make allegations to get even with you and destroy your credibility if you go to court to testify. And who's behind you? Nobody. And imagine this administration. Look what happened to those Border Patrol agents who were falsely and wrongly accused of whipping illegal aliens trying to come across the Rio Grande illegally. They weren't whipping anybody. And the president gets up, they will pay a price. And who stood between uh, Biden, who wanted to hammer these poor agents, and the actual agents? It was the Border Patrol Union that stood up for them. The New York City Police Department, every cop has a membership in the PBA, the Policeman's Benevolent Association. There's nothing wrong with a union representing the interests of employees. That's one of the reasons I have a problem with Republicans. People say, why aren't you a Republican? I said, well, the Republicans started the open borders. 
It was Reagan who gave us the first amnesty. It was Reagan who gave us the visa waiver program. It was Reagan who started the visa lottery and was signed into law by George Herbert Walker Bush. Then it was Reagan who froze our salaries and tried to take away sick leave and annual leave and other benefits. It was Reagan who said, if you're a civil servant working for the federal government and then you get a job uh, and you're covered by Social Security, that's a windfall profit, and we're going to cut drastically any money that a former civil servant can get out of the Social Security system. Are we the enemy? Are we the enemy? Um, It's upsetting. If you want to fire people when you come in as president, I'm all for it. Fire the people at the head of the agency and reach down into the leadership of each office. That's what Ronald Reagan did, and it was a very smart thing to do. Trump didn't do that. So he left in place many key people who were holdovers from the Obama administration who fully embraced Obama's ideology. So if you want to get things changed, you change it by getting rid of the people above the second level of supervision in every office from every agency. That's manageable and that's sensible. You know, there's a wonderful Yiddish expression that says when the fish goes bad, it smells from the head. It's the management that gives those employees of the government their marching orders. They don't go out there on their own and say, well, what kind of mischief do I want to stir up today? It doesn't work that way. Your boss comes to you and says, Mr. Cutler, you need to open an investigation into the XYZ company because we believe they're hiring illegal aliens. And then you go out and you do your investigation. And it's your supervisor's who guide the investigation, decide whether or not to give you the resources you need, and so forth. So go after those people at that level of management and put people in who will give the employees, the agents, and the other people who work for the government appropriate marching orders that coincide with the philosophies and the goals of the president who gets elected. That makes sense. But the whole reason that there's protections against firing civil servants is if you look at history, it used to be that a president would come in and they would fire everybody and bring in their cronies who would not enforce the laws the way they were written, but would go off the reservation and do all kinds of crazy things. And you need to protect civil servants who might have inside knowledge about corruption and malfeasance in their agencies. Think of those brave agents who went after Alejandro Mayorkas for ordering visa petitions to be approved even after the FBI warned that a company in particular was dangerous because it had a link, it appeared, to an Iranian terrorist group. I'm going to talk about Iran momentarily. So so let's be careful what we wish for. This hot-headed, yes, they're going to hire all these IRS agents because they're placating the union. That's about as dumb as it gets. Kudlow made that statement. Uh, uh, Sean Duffy made that statement. A bunch of them made it. No, my bigger concern, folks, and it should be their concern if they're thinking, maybe they're not thinking, is that IRS agents can selectively enforce the law, which back to Trump, and I had this discussion with one of my kids. I said, look what happened with Hillary. So what does Hillary have to do with Donald? I said, everything. Because our government promises, as the bedrock of our sense of justice, equal protection under the law. That's why. So that you don't have a situation where the political machine says, oh, we don't like a particular race, or we don't like people who are with the other party. Think about Lois Lerner and the IRS not willing to give status to conservative groups. 
and she pleaded the fifth how many times, and she didn't lose her pension. When I got my badge at the academy, they said, ladies and gentlemen, you look at that badge, and you realize that you have not given up your Fifth Amendment right by becoming a federal employee. But, but, if you are ever in a situation where you are asked to give a deposition, where you were questioned about the way you did your job or didn't do your job, uh, and you plead the Fifth, which is your right, Take that badge out of your pocket. Take a good, hard look at it because it's going away. Well, Lois Lerner, at a hearing in Washington, pleaded the fifth repeatedly and then kept on talking after she pleaded the fifth, and it doesn't work that way, and Trey Gowdy was crystal clear about that. He said, you can't say I plead the fifth and then start running your mouth. You plead the fifth and then you shut up. You can't get it both ways, but she did, and she even got to keep her pension. That's selective enforcement. That's exactly what you don't want. If Hillary gets away with something and Donald Trump does something that's the equivalent and suffers for it, but Hillary didn't, that is not equal protection. And that's what should have every American concern. And that's why you should be concerned about an army of IRS agents given the current climate. Let's not forget that this administration with the Congress attempted to pass legislation that would bail out Farmers of color, but not white farmers, and the courts ruled against it. It was one of the most outrageous things I ever heard about. But when do we do that in America? The whole idea of the civil rights is equal treatment, equal protection under the law, not discriminatory decisions. <clears throat> and it would certainly seem, would seem that Donald Trump is being discriminated against by the Justice Department that has now launched one witch hunt after another, and perhaps this is therefore a fishing expedition because of January 6th. Who knows? I don't know. I'm speculating. I don't like speculating. But I'm giving you the benefit of my thoughts, the benefit of my doubts about what's being done, how it's being done, and why it's being done. We, you know, cooler heads have to prevail. But boy, oh boy, the Democrats, the Justice Department better come up with something of substance. And if they think they're just going to leave this dangling out there until the next election, which is three months away, hoping that the shadow <clears throat> will have an adverse impact on the way people vote, I hope that's not the case. I hope that's not the case. Um, this would really be tragic. For all the breastfeeding and screaming of the Democrats about how Trump and the Republicans are threatening the Constitution. It's their overt actions that threaten this great republic and our Constitution. There's no other way of seeing it. Maxine Waters screaming when Trump first got elected, get in the faces of the members of the administration, let them know they're not welcome, confront them. She set the tone for the violent encounters that we've seen across the country. You could argue that she was inciting people to riot. When you had the demonstrators outside of the Supreme Court justices' homes, and Kavanaugh was the target of a potential assassin, and the Justice Department remained silent, it is illegal to demonstrate outside the home of a sitting judge. And Biden said, go there, protest. It's the First Amendment. No, it's not the First Amendment. That is not a legitimate expression of the First Amendment. 
So now we're to believe that the Justice Department is being even-handed and objective? Hard to believe. It's the boy who cried wolf one time too many, perhaps many times too many. And all the while, what is the administration doing to protect America and Americans? Bupkis. Nothing. I'd like someone to tell me what the good news is in these policy decisions for Americans. Pick one and give me the benefits. I've said it before. I'll say it again. When we have to make a decision, a momentous decision, uh, should I get married? Should I buy a car? Should I take the new job? Uh, Should I rent a house? Should I buy the house? You know, we make these big decisions, life decisions. What we usually do is draw up a list, positive and negative, pro and con. This is the good news. This is the bad news. So here's my challenge. Find me something positive in the policies of the Biden administration. How are open borders helpful? How is bringing in millions of illegal aliens who have not been vetted, can't be vetted about identity, possible criminal backgrounds, running their fingerprints, those buckets, I can tell you from personal experience. Many of them have no paperwork. Think of the term undocumented. We don't know who they are. We don't know why they're here. And you're letting them into the country and then dispersing them across America. How is that good news for Americans? You look at the homelessness. You look at the drugs. And you hear the Democrats screaming about gun control, but they don't want criminal control. The reason New York was the safest big city, was the safest big city, is because in New York up until a couple of years ago, anybody caught with a firearm and no permit went to jail for two years, period, full stop, nothing to talk about. You have a gun, you don't have a permit, you're going to jail. Do not pass go, do not collect $200. Now, people can go into a store, pull the gun on a shopkeeper, demand the person's money, and as long as they don't pull the trigger, they'll probably be out of jail before the cop completes the paperwork. You think it's hard for a bad guy to get his or her hands on another gun? It's like finding a hard time of getting sand at the beach. Making guns illegal doesn't mean that the guns go away. They don't vanish. It just means that law-abiding citizens won't have those guns. And I I can understand the administration. They don't want those 87,000 IRS agents to have to go into a premise where the owner might be armed, I guess, because they want armed agents. And I I can't remember the last time I saw that expression. You know, willing to use deadly force or may have to use deadly force. You know, we talked about firearms in my job description, and we were trained to shoot to stop. Of course, a firearm is deadly force. But the way it was expressed was disturbing. It's almost like, you know, (laughs) are you willing to be a hitman for the U.S. government? Really? Is that what law enforcement is? While they defund the police, we'll have IRS hitmen? This is crazy. This is how third world countries operate. This is a tactic of intimidation. And it started in the schoolyards a couple of decades ago, in my humble opinion, when we told kids that there's no such thing as winning and losing. Everybody wins. And don't defend yourself. We'll take care of the bullies for you. And I worried. I was the victim of bullies when I was growing up. I was a scrawny kid. When I was very young, I had health issues. Thankfully, I outgrew them. And because I didn't care about sports, boy, oh, boy, did I get picked on. I was a big science guy. You know, my heroes were astronauts and test pilots, not people that could swing a piece of wood at a ball and call them heroes. I don't see that as heroic. My favorite oxymoron is heroic play. 
My heroes are people like Alan Shepard and Gus Grissom, Chuck Yeager, Scott Crossfield, uh, all these amazing test pilots and astronauts. <clears throat> but when you're growing up, if you're a little different from anybody else, you have a problem. And my dad insisted that I go to a gym, work out, learn how to box, put some muscles on my frame, which I did. And he said, you're going to learn to deal with these people because when you grow up, they're not going away. Part of being a man is knowing how to defend yourself. So we've turned America into a nation of wusses. If you dare defend yourself, you're exhibiting toxic masculinity. Sure thing. Toxic masculinity defeated the Nazis during the Second World War. Toxic masculinity got us to the moon. Right? But now, oh, my God, if you're heterosexual, look out. Um, No, this is about the destruction of American society. This is about ripping and wrenching the soul of America out of America's beating chest. That's what I believe this is about. And the schools are doing nothing to, to stop the craziness. We're teaching children, children who haven't figured out the difference between boy and girl, you know, like kindergarten kids, that somebody may be a he or a she, depending on which day of the week it is. Do you know how unsettling and destabilizing that is? Think back to your days when you were adolescent, raging hormones, worries about how you're going to find your place in the universe. And now we're going to add to that uncertainty about sexual identity, and the list goes on. And drugs are pouring in, and no one's doing a damn thing to stop it. No TV commercials. I'm going to go back and issue a challenge to the Republicans. Put your money where your mouth is. You want to show Americans that you're a viable alternative to the lunacy of the Democrats? Pay for some public service announcements warning about the dangers of drugs. It worked for cigarettes. It worked where seatbelts and drunk driving were concerned. Put your money where your mouth is. Otherwise, as far as I'm concerned, you're all in on having drugs flow into America also. The drugs across the border because we have an open border, but you can sure as hell help to influence the demand for those drugs by educating the American people. Here's your golden opportunity, folks. Maybe you should reach out to your local political folks and, and tell them what I just said, especially if they're Republicans. Provide an alternative to the corruption of the Democrat Party and this flood of fentanyl and other poisons that are flowing freely into America, killing many more than 100,000. Look at Ann Haish in that terrible accident. They say she's probably not going to survive. She was driving under the influence of cocaine. Anytime someone pulls a trigger, there ought to be a public report on toxicology. Was that mass shooter operating under the influence of drugs? Let's really look at the toll, the cost of those drugs that flow freely into America and destroy lives and families and the future of our children and the future of our nation. We're funding terrorists. We're funding China. Americans are dying, and no one's doing diddly. No one's doing diddly. I'm sick of it. I spent half my 30-year career with the Drug Task Force, spent four years of DEA intelligence. What are we doing? We are poisoning our next generation of leaders, and all you hear is crickets. Crickets. I want to see some commercials. I want to see something being done to change the dynamics of the poisoning of America. 
suggestion. Please reach out to your political leaders wherever you live and call them up and say, you know, there's this crazy guy who does a talk radio program on, on Friday nights on Blog Talk, and he's suggesting that you should be running ads. Let's see who takes the, the challenge and does what needs to be done. And then we worry about Iran. And the Biden administration continues to negotiate with Iran. Okay. Meanwhile, we've had these stories. Uh, I don't know if you folks are aware of it, but just a couple of hours ago, Salman Rushdie, um, who wrote Satanic Verses and had a $3 million bounty on his head put there by the government of Iran, was viciously attacked in upstate New York. He was punched and stabbed. He's in surgery right now. We should pray for his recovery. He's one of the most outspoken advocates for freedom of speech. I hope he survives. I hope he's not, you know, permanently damaged, although I'm certain that this trauma isn't going to be good for him. He's 75 years old. We don't know who the assailant is. Actually, they just announced the name. We don't know much more than a name. Uh, It would be interesting to see if the assailant was, uh, you know, looking to collect the bounty from Iran. Meanwhile, earlier this week, um, it was determined, there were reports from the FBI, that there were contracts on John Bolton and Mike Pompeo. And they keep talking about Bolton being the former uh, national security advisor to Trump involved with uh, taking out the terrorists um, during the Trump administration. He was also the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. I, I met John Bolton in the green room at Fox. We had coffee together. An interesting guy. I was surprised that he was familiar with the terrorist case I worked on back in 76. My first fraud case caused me to trip over a terror plot in Israel. We prevented the bombing of an oil refinery. And so Bolton's life was under threat. Mike Pompeo's life was under threat. On August the 1st, there was a a report about how an individual from Azerbaijan was on the porch of a woman who was almost kidnapped last year by the Iranians, um, and it's just totally incredible. So, so we have a, a dissident by the name of Masi Alenejad, who nearly got kidnapped. The Iranians were going to drug her, put her on a boat. She lived near the water in Brooklyn, not far from where I live, and they were going to take her by boat to Venezuela, and from Venezuela they had an airplane waiting to fly into Iran where they would imprison her, torture her, probably kill her. He came to America looking for security. We hear about political asylum. We have to let the people in who want political asylum. Okay. So she came to America looking for safety. How safe is she when we have no control over who we're letting into the country? Because many of these other countries don't simply say, oh, Charlie Jones is a nasty guy. We hate him. He's gone. No more. We're done with him. No. They go to hunt them down. How many times have we heard about Russia hunting down people that used to be Russians that acted against Russia where they poisoned them? There was one uh, man, I, I don't have their names in front of me, where in England they poisoned this guy and his daughter. They are relentless. So when we give asylum to people who come here because they flee persecution or perhaps death, and we talk about how important it is to provide security, asylum, and then we let in the people that want to kill them, who are we protecting and who are we kidding? When does that end? 
And what was so damn outrageous about this is the guy that was found on her front porch was 23 years old, looked like a soldier, had a huge neck, you know, like a 26-inch neck, 25-inch neck, and he had an AK-47 with eradicated serial numbers, except that it was marked Made in China. He had an extended magazine, 66 rounds of ammunition, and initially claimed that he had gone from his home in Yonkers to Brooklyn because the rent was too high in Yonkers. Really? Really? And the news media, including some of the conservative stations, described him as a New York man, as a Yonkers man. Meanwhile, he's from Azerbaijan. This is an immigration story. Why is it an immigration story? Well, if he's from Azerbaijan, how did he get into the United States? Did he run the border? Did he come with a visa? Did he stow away on a ship? Did he walk across from Canada into Buffalo? I mean, there's all kinds of ways of getting here. I, I wrote an article quite some time ago where I said that, you know, Paul Revere had it easy. One if I land, two if I see to tell the, the, the people how the Brits were coming. There's so many ways of getting into the United States today that if Paul Revere was alive and wanted to use lanterns, he'd have to probably buy up every lantern in every Home Depot or Lowe's, and he would probably wind up setting fire to the Old North Church if he lit all those different lanterns at the same time. That's how easy it is to get here. And with no interior enforcement, which brings us to the second part of the story, because according to several reports, Khalid, Mediev, which is the name of this guy that was on this woman's front porch, had an expired employment authorization document. That's the document that immigration authorities, Citizenship and Immigration Services, give to aliens who file for an immigration benefit. It was expired. Why did they allow it to expire? Well, there's two possibilities. He's here illegally, maybe. He didn't re-up it, maybe or they approved an application for permanent status or some other kind of immigration benefit in the United States. So the question is, why is no one covering this as an immigration story? Certainly the Justice Department isn't saying a word. In fact, I've yet to find a press release from the Justice Department. Think about that one. Think about that one. The guy's being charged with an illegal gun, but... In, in reality, no one's talking about the fact that this is an immigration story that covers two specific issues. How did he get into the country, and how and why was he issued an employment authorization document? And what's his immigration status now? Because this guy may well have committed immigration fraud. May have well committed fraud to get that document. I want to read something to you. This is from the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel. And it starts out by saying this. This is under the title, Section 3.2, Terrorist Travel Tactics by Plot. Well, there's evidence that some land and sea border entries of terrorists without inspection occurred. These conspirators mainly subverted the legal entry system by entering at airports. And in so doing, they relied on a wide variety of fraudulent documents, on aliases, on government corruption. God knows, folks, maybe even our own government's corruption, right? I just added that. That wasn't part of it, but you have to wonder. Because terrorist operations were not suicide missions in the early to mid-1990s, once in the United States, terrorists and their supporters tried to get legal immigration status that would permit them to remain here, primarily by committing serial or repeated immigration fraud, by claiming political asylum, and by marrying Americans. 
Many of these tactics would remain largely unchanged and undetected throughout the 1990s and up to the 9-11 attack. Thus, abuse of the immigration system and a lack of interior immigration enforcement were unwittingly working together to support terrorist activity. Think about that. It would remain largely unknown since no agency of the U.S. government analyzed terrorist travel patterns until after 9-11. This lack of attention meant that critical opportunities to disrupt terrorist travel and therefore deadly terrorist operations were missed. Page 61 goes on and says this, exploring the link between human smugglers and terrorists. In July 2001, the CIA warned of a possible link between human smugglers and terrorist groups, including Hamas, Hezbollah, and the Egyptian Islamic Jihad. Indeed, there's evidence to suggest that since 1999, human smugglers have facilitated the travel of terrorists associated with more than a dozen extremist groups. With their global reach and connection to fraudulent document vendors and corrupt government officials, human smugglers clearly have the credentials necessary to aid terrorist travel. Right? Think about that. Think about that. And all we keep hearing is the crisis on the Mexican border. And we had someone arrested two weeks ago. There was DOJ press releases who was a a hitman for ISIS. He was sentenced to life in jail. He killed two Syrian soldiers. And he was the person and translator on the most virulent and violent videos that were being put out there by ISIS. Guess where he lived and operated? in Canada, on our northern border, right? Now, going back to that report, page 98, immigration benefits, and this is again from the report. Terrorists in the 1990s, as well as the September 11th hijackers, needed to find a way to stay in or embed themselves in the United States if their operational plans were to come to fruition. As already discussed, this could be accomplished legally by marrying an American citizen achieving temporary worker status, by the way, folks, that temporary worker status, DACA is a good example of that, or applying for asylum after entering. Isn't that what we're seeing right now? All these aliens come into the country, they apply for asylum, and New York's mayor calls every illegal alien now asylum applicants. Most of them will not qualify. Over 90% will not qualify. Calling them asylum applicants to minimize the fact that they're illegal aliens is nuts. That's like saying that somebody on welfare is an aspiring millionaire. And you say, wait a minute, he doesn't have a job, he's on welfare, how in the world does he expect to become a millionaire? Well, he bought a lottery ticket last week. That's the equivalent. But to finish this thing, and then I want to talk about Adams because I just mentioned them. So as I said here before, as already discussed, this can be accomplished legally by marrying an American citizen, achieving temporary worker status, or applying for asylum after entering. In many cases, the act of filing for an immigration benefit, and this guy, Mediev, apparently did. That's why he got that employment authorization document, that EAD, folks. In many cases, the act of filing for an immigration benefit sufficed to permit the alien to remain in the country until the petition was adjudicated. Terrorists. Terrorists were free to conduct surveillance, coordinate operations, obtain and receive funding, go to school and learn English, make contacts in the United States, acquire necessary materials, and execute an attack. So we've got this guy from Azerbaijan, Khalid Mediev, with an assault rifle, with an extended magazine, no serial number, and 66 rounds of ammunition. And the best that they do in the media is Yonkers man, New York man, and no one's paying attention to the immigration angle. 
This is insanity. I was just thinking about One American News. By the way, they used to be on Verizon. Um, we have the Verizon cable service. Uh, One American News has now been taken off of Verizon. We need to reach out to them. This is censorship. This is nuts. They do a good job of providing the news. I've been on many of their programs to be interviewed. And you've now got the mayor of New York and the mayor of Washington, D.C., screaming that the mayor or the governor of Texas is busting illegal aliens up. They're screaming, my God, we can't deal with them. We have probably a couple of million illegal aliens in New York City right now. They've been here for decades. Many years ago, they did studies on where the greatest number of illegal aliens were. New York City, believe it or not, came in number one. Not California. You know, it wasn't San Francisco. It wasn't Los Angeles. It wasn't San Diego. It wasn't Houston. It wasn't Dallas. It was New York City. And not all the illegal aliens come from the Mexican border. But I can tell you there's a huge population of Central Americans who did run the border living in parts of Brooklyn and Manhattan and Queens and so forth. And you can go into the neighborhoods. If you, if you look at El Chapo Guzman, he was the Mexican cartel leader who put on trial, sentenced to life, uh, in the Eastern District of New York, not on the border, here, because he turned New York City into the hub for his drug activities. He was prosecuted a couple of blocks away from where Chuck Schumer lives in Brooklyn, or a couple of miles away from Schumer's house. And they were working with the Mexican border and coming up into New York. And when I was part of the anti-smuggling unit in the late 70s, early 80s, we used to surveil the flights coming in from the West Coast, especially at night, the red-eye flights, so-called. And very often we'd find illegal aliens that still had mud in their boots because they waded across the Rio Grande, believe it or not. This has been going on forever. But now they're screaming bloody murder. Oh, my God, they're sending us illegal aliens. We have a huge population of illegal aliens in Washington Heights who came from the Dominican Republic, violated their visas, or entered under assumed identities and lied about who they were. We have a huge population of folks from Pakistan. Every flavor, if you go to uh, Manhattan Beach or Brighton Beach, we used to call Little Odessa. Tons of of Russians, you know. America was always, you know, New York was, was the place where everybody went. And they were drawn to New York because of its sanctuary policies, if they were here illegally or if they were engaged in criminal activity. In fact, they testified before Congress back in February 2003 about how New York's sanctuary policies was getting people killed. There was a woman who was attacked in Queens in a park by a bunch of illegal aliens. I was one of the four witnesses called by the House Judiciary Committee. We've known about it forever. I testified at the murder trial of a Panamanian by the name of Ronaldo Reyside, who killed a 24-year-old cop, um, Officer Machete. I had physically put this guy in an airplane. He was ordered deported by a judge. He lost his green card because of multiple crimes involving drugs and weapons. He came back, and the NYPD in the 80s was not allowed to notify immigration that they had arrested him multiple times for various crimes, and each time he resisted arrest, but the sanctuary policies, they couldn't notify immigration, even though reentry is a felony. And eventually, he stopped by Officer Robert Machati from Brooklyn South. And I worked with Brooklyn South, made lots of arrests with them in those days. And he goes for Machati's gun. Apparently, he's fearful that if he reports him to immigration, he's going to go to jail. There's a gunfight, and Officer Machati dies on a street corner in Brooklyn. I testified at that trial. That was probably the roughest trial where I've ever testified. It was heartbreaking. Officer Machati's brother, his widowed wife, who was a mother because she was pregnant when he was killed, 
His mother and father were all sitting there in the courtroom. These aren't victimless crimes. But now all of a sudden, Mayor Adams is jumping up and down. Oh, the governor of Texas, we have to go there and defeat him. I just talked about that on One American News. They just posted my interview. Really? Why isn't Adams jumping up and down about the midnight flight from Joe Biden into Westchester County Airport and into Stewart Air Force Base? It's Joe Biden's policies that are unleashing this human tsunami on America. So instead of saying we've got to get Biden to stop what he's doing, he says we've got to get the governor of Texas to stop sending us illegal aliens. There would be no illegal aliens in this quantity if it wasn't for Biden's corrupt practices, his malfeasance. I'm sick of it all. I'm sick of it all. So, you know, we circle back. I hate to use that expression because I think of that uh, former press secretary for Biden. It makes me nuts. But let's circle back. So with all of these inequities, all of these injustices, am I really supposed to believe what we're being told by the Justice Department. And what worries me the most, law enforcement requires that the public support law enforcement. Of course, the Democrats don't, unless it's to get your money. But uh, what happens when the FBI goes out there and says, we need your help, the way they did after the bombing at the Boston Marathon, and everybody responded? If people get to the point that they no longer trust law enforcement, they will not get that cooperation. And as a consequence, national security and public safety will suffer even more. This nonsense has to be brought to a screeching halt, and the sooner the better. And that's the job all Americans must do. We ultimately must make government accountable. We have to be clear with our elected representatives at all levels that we're not the fools that they have been playing us to be. We know better than that. And as Americans, we should be sitting down every weekend with our neighbors, our friends, our family members, uh, our people that we work with have honest, calm, fact-based constitutions. And remember that democracy is not a spectator sport. Please send a link to this podcast to as many of your friends as you can. Ask them to listen. Ask them to read my articles. And let's have honest conversations and honor the First Amendment upon which everything else rests. Thank you so much, folks. I'm glad you could join me. Have a great weekend. Stay cool. And I look forward to seeing you again next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Goodbye.